She was a little girl. Her name was Jill. And she was out in the wilderness on one of those trails. And she was so very thirsty. Her throat was parched. And she needed refreshment. And that's when she heard the rippling of that stream. So she goes to where the stream is along that trail. She rounds the corner, and just as she expects to see the stream, to drink from the stream, that's when she sees the lion. Now, I don't know if you have ever had that uh, pit-in-the-gut panic when you have stood before an untamed, undomesticated animal. But that's exactly how she felt. And she knew that she couldn't run away, and she sure wasn't going to go forward. And she was awfully thirsty. And just then, just then, when she wasn't sure what was going to happen next, the lion, whose name was Aslan, spoke. Are you not thirsty? Yes, she said. Well, then come and drink. She said, I can't. He said, why? I'm afraid. Of who? You. Would you mind going away while I get something to drink? And the lion responded with a look and a very low growl. She may as well have asked the mountain to move than to get that lion out of the way. She said, um, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? And she didn't even know that she had taken a step forward when she said that. He said, I make no such promise. She said, do you eat little girls? He said, I have swallowed girls and boys and men and women and kings and cities and realms. And he said it not like he was bragging and not like he was apologizing. He just said it. She said, I, I just can't. He said, then you'll die of thirst. She said, I'll just go to another stream. There is no other stream. And I love how, I love how the author puts it in the silver chair. That's the silver chair in the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> it was the worst thing Jill had ever to do. But she went straight to the stream knelt down and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. And before she tasted it, she'd been intending to make a, a dash away from the lion the moment she'd finished. But now she realized that this would be on the whole, the most dangerous thing of all.
You know, I wonder if uh, when C.S. Lewis wrote that scene in The Silver Chair, I wonder if he was thinking about that episode in the life of Christ in John chapter 4 when Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman and satisfies spiritual thirst. And I want to talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And this is a, um, a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. You'll find John chapter 4 on page 752 of your church Bibles. And, and what I want us to pay attention to when we look at these verses is not just how Jesus quenches thirsty souls I mean, that you may be here today, and you may be, this may be your first time here, and you're wondering, you know, I, I, something's missing in my life. Something's missing. And I think as we look at these verses, we're going to see what that is. There's another point of view here that I want us to pay attention to, and it goes along with our series on conversations. It's, it's how do we help people who have that spiritual thirst? I mean, how do we help lead them to the one who can satisfy the spiritual thirst? And so I want us to take a look at it from, from the way Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And just to let you know what's coming, I want you to pay attention to as Jesus interacts with this this person who matters so much to him. And I want you to see how Jesus breaks through the barriers. Okay, we're going to see that. Breaks through the barriers. We're going to see how Jesus takes off the masks. Takes off the masks. And then we're going to see how Jesus makes this, this irresistible invitation. All right? Breaking through the barriers. Taking off the masks. Making the ask, making the invitation. So that's where we're going today. John chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. That's kind of a side verse. You can imagine what people would say if they had been baptized by Jesus, right? And... and how people would then become more proud of the fact that they had been baptized by Jesus and the message of baptism itself. So John makes it clear that it's not Jesus who baptized his disciples. Verse 3 says, When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. That's noon. So our story opens with Jesus in Judea. And his ministry is uh, getting the attention not just of disciples but of enemies and so much so that it's time to go back up north. And here's an interesting map here just to kind of acquaint you with what's happening. Jerusalem is kind of right in the heart of this territory called Judea 
And John says that he started to head back up north to Galilee. It's a beautiful area. Very beautiful area in the land of Israel. And Jesus had three choices to get there. He could have gone by the scenic route. There was a, there was a, a, like a highway that would have gone parallel to the Mediterranean Sea. He could have done that to the west. He could have gone to the east there by the Jordan River. There would have been a scenic route there, which would have bypassed, gone around, a looped around Samaria. Or there was a, there was a path straight through up to Samaria. And John says, now he had to go through Samaria. Had he wanted to take the shortcut, he would have had to go through Samaria. But I think John's trying to tell us something else other than just Jesus being efficient. I think John is trying to tell us that there's someone that he wants to meet there. The whole purpose of John's gospel is to say, you know, these things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And John tells us that Jesus came for the world, and that included the Samaritan world as well. So he had to go through Samaria, and he gets into this little town called Sychar. Now, he didn't go to Chicago, Sychar wasn't the size of Chicago, and it wasn't even the size of Champaign-Urbana. It wasn't even the size of Effingham. I'm going to take a stab that Sychar could not have been too much more than maybe, I, I don't know, I'm just going to take an educated guess. If you could think of the Rolling Acres subdivision, you know, just, just that little area there. Or one of our little garden hills, one of our little subdivisions here in town, little compact area. I don't, you know, 30 acres, 40 acres, you know. And if you can imagine a town, maybe the population the size of our church family, all right? So imagine that many people living in a 30 or 40 acre territory, okay? And everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody sees everybody. Some people are born in Sychar. They live in Sychar. They die in Sychar. They never leave. And when you sneeze, somebody else gets a cold. Okay? That's, how, that's a tight family. That's what we're talking about here. And they're journeying through Samaria, and it's noon. It's hot. And Jesus sends the disciples in. You know, for some happy meals. And he's just tired. And so he sits there at this well. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. And that's when she showed up. And that's when he asked a most startling question. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. We know that, huh? Will you give me a drink? With one question, Jesus breaks through the barriers. He breaks through the one question. What do you mean? I mean, Jesus blew through every barrier that existed between himself and her, between Jews, between some, there were several, but we're talking, first of all, the most obvious, a racial barrier. 
racial barrier that existed between, between those of Hebrew lineage and those from Samaritan because the Hebrews and the Samaritans were bitter enemies back then. The Samaritans, by the way, the Samaritan race still exists today. As of uh, last November 2007, there were just over 700 Samaritans whose lineage geneticists and archaeologists trace back to the 7th century before Christ. When the Assyrians came in and swooped up the 10 northern tribes, there was intermarriage between the pagan Assyrians and, and, uh, and some of the Hebrews, and, and their offspring happened to be the Samaritan race. And, and, and therefore, not only was there racial intermingling, which produced the Samaritans, there was religious intermingling. They kind of, they kind of had a hybrid of, of uh, Assyrian paganism and uh, Judaism. And, and the faithful uh, Hebrews felt that this was treason. And so seven centuries of bitterness and hatred exist between the Samaritans and the Hebrews. That's why the parable of the Good Samaritan is such a powerful, powerful parable. Here there was racial, I imagine, and, and, and it says, says in the NIV that, they, that uh, later on it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Literally, literally, and some of your translations say, that the Jews do not use the same dishes. Can, can you imagine Governor George Wallace in 1963, the governor who on his inauguration day, governor of Alabama, said segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. You know, can you imagine him after that saying to Martin Luther King Jr., are you done with your Coke? I'd like to sip from it. I mean, that's not going to, you know, if, 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 you're not, if you're done with that Dairy Queen ice cream, can I have that? It wasn't going to happen, see. It's incredible animosity. But Jesus blew through that racial barrier, that religious barrier, and there was a gender barrier because back then, back then, I, I, um, just in the foyer, I have greeted and, and talked and visited, and after church, I'll, I'll do the same and, 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 and with both men and women because that's just kind of how we do it here. Back then, in public, men would never, ever speak to women. That was just, the, that was just a cultural no-no. That was just a, a, a cultural no-no. You just did not do that. Jesus blew straight through that racial barrier, religious barrier, gender barrier, and social barrier. So Jesus was a respected rabbi. She was an outcast. How do we know that? Well, we know that later on, but there's a clue. She's there at the sixth hour. What's she doing there at the sixth hour? What's she doing there at noon? They didn't get water there at noon in that day. They would go, why? Because it was hot. And to haul that pot and fill it up. And, and so it was, you know, it was more than a social chore that needed to be done and the ladies would gather really early in the morning or late at night and they would it, you know it would kind of be uh, it would just kind of be a, a social chit chat time and they would talk and visit and share and get the chore done and walk back together but she's by herself why well because it's a small town and there are not that many people and everybody knows that she's had five marriages and the person that she's living with now and it's there's a thousand people. I mean, everybody, they knew who number guy number two was, number three, number four. They probably can figure out, well, I wonder who number seven's gonna be. So Jesus blew through all of those barriers, racial, 
religious. He entered. He didn't wait for her. he, He initiated it. Would you give me something to drink? Breaking through the barriers. Is there a lesson there for us in terms of what we need to do to share life-giving water with those who are thirsty, breaking through the barriers. But notice what he did when he broke through the barriers. Breaking through the barriers and then taking off the mask. I want to talk about that for a minute. Taking off the mask. There's a sense in which this applies to him. Notice Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Sometimes we feel like that when we share Christ or when we're trying to be effective witnesses that we have to come off like we don't have any problems in our life or we don't have to show any weakness. Jesus was tired. Look, he's tired. He's tired. And she shows up. She's just doing her day. She wasn't even looking for God. She wasn't even looking for religion. She wasn't even looking for change. She just, a hot walk in the sun was, was, was enough to just get away from the daggers of the gossip that went on in that little bitty town of Sychar that she couldn't escape, that she wanted to get away from. And, and, and now he shows up, oh, can I get a break? Can't even be by myself. And there he is, God in the flesh, tired. He's got crud between his toes. The Almighty with dirty feet. Yeah. Would you give me something to drink? And Jesus was not afraid. Sometimes, I I love this quote, maybe the best way to engage in a spiritual conversation with someone who doesn't, is to ask for something. Don't worry about talking about something spiritual. Just ask for help. Now, if you leave here, I'm so afraid that I could be misunderstood by this. The lesson is not act needy to win them to Christ. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? (laughs) no here's it at some point in time I love this quote at some point in time you're going to need someone to get your mail mow your yard get your newspaper borrow a cup of sugar there are skills that we lack that our non-Christian friends can offer and you know what even matters on which we can turn to them for advice we should not hide our worries or anxieties or fears or griefs from non-Christians. Being a Christian makes us not less human, but more human, and we can connect with people by living authentically. That's what I'm talking about. That's what it means to take off the mask. Jesus, he was tired. God in the flesh got tired and sweaty and thirsty, and he wanted something to drink, okay? It's okay to ask for an unbeliever for something to drink. You might find then that that's an opportunity, not in a manipulative way, but in an authentic way, to help that unbeliever take off their mask, because we all wear masks, don't we? And the, and the biggest question is, are you going to love me when I take off my last mask? Because when I take off my last mask, then you're going to see me, warts and all. And that's a hard mask to take off. You break through the barriers and you're taking off the masks and, 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 and it's a hard mask to take off. Look at what she said. Notice what she says here. The Samaritan, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are, uh, you're a Jew and I, and he didn't, she didn't say, oh wow, somebody finally notices me. Somebody finally sees me for who I really am. And lo- no, 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 no. She says, uh, eh, foul. 
yeah, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How is it you can ask me for a drink? What, what, what is this? What, is this a pickup line? What, what's the deal? What's going on here? I mean, she's a hard, tough audience here. Tough crowd, huh? And Jesus responds to her, hey, if you knew the gift of God and you knew who it was that was asking for something to do, you'd be the one asking him, see? And he would give you living water. So the issue, the issue is now not his physical thirst, but her spiritual need. And, and she's going, uh, hey, buddy, <laughs> what are you going to get it? What are you, how are you going to get something to drink? The well is deep here, and you don't even have a bucket. Well, what's the, you know, how is that going to happen? And, and, and Jesus just stays right with her. See, he says, look, lady, you drink from this, you drink from this, and you're going to get thirsty again. But I'm telling you, I can give you something that will satisfy your thirst forever. And furthermore, it will create in your life and in your heart a fountain that will bubble over. Living water by which others can be satisfied. That's what I have to offer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the spring, you can't cover a spring, can you? Because it's going to bubble up over anyway. And she's tough. She says, all right, yeah, sure, you've got living water. You're tired, you don't have a bucket. All right, yeah, go ahead. If you can keep me from having to haul, you don't get it, buddy. You can keep me from having to haul this jug back and forth every day, that's fine. I'll take tap water from the house, whatever. You can keep me from doing that. Give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty. And have, I'll play along with you. Go ahead, go ahead. He says, all right, I will. Go, go call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You know, you're right, you don't. The fact of the matter is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have right now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Whoa, what's that? Is he just trying to make her feel, no. He's taking off the mask. He's trying to get her to take off that mask, but it's so very difficult. He's trying to get her to take off the mask by showing her that she has been dipping her bucket into a well which is not satisfying her. And that's a lesson for us here today too because all of us, we are wired to be satisfied. We're wired to have our thirst quenched. And we want to we have significance, we want to have importance, we want to have meaning in life. And so what do we do? We take our bucket and we, we look, we say, okay, this is going to satisfy me. You know, if I can just be satisfied with career achievement, then, and, and we gulp it down and we take two or three or more, and at the end of the day, we're, we're not satisfied. Or we say, what, well, you know, my appearance I'm going to drink from the appearance bottle. And if I can just chug that down, then that's going to be okay. And Or we say, no, I'm going to chug from the finance. And you know what? The finance bottle. And we're learning a big lesson about that in our culture today, aren't we? Which is why this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for God's people who have the spring of living water within them to reveal that, you know what, it doesn't matter what happens. We have water and we are satisfied, but people are still, they're saying, they're going to chug that down. I'm asking you, what well are you tempted to bring your bucket into that you, that you dip it out of and yet at the end of the day, you're still thirsty? Is it job? 
is that education for her, it was multiple male relationships and sex. Men have been running your life all these years, and you're still thirsty. What is it? What is it? At the end of the day, we're just not satisfied. And our culture knows that. Our culture, our culture, our culture preys on that. Our culture preys on the fact that you know, we are thirsty people. And so we're going to try to quench that thirst. And that's why, that's why there's this thing called YouTube. Because you can broadcast yourself. See? See, we're addicted to our own significance. You say, the pastor's against technology. <laughs> no, I'm not. I had to go to YouTube to get that picture. Okay? I'm, no, I'm not. I'm using technology right now. I'm just trying to say, do you understand what's going on here? Can you see the playing field? Here's another one. Look at time. Whoa, who, who was? Oh, I was going to ask you a question. That's okay. We're, we're just making this up as we go. Can you tell? This is, do you remember this? Who was person of the year last year? You were. You were. You were. You feel any more special? No, why? Because it's everybody, right? It's everybody. No, no, you see? <laughs> you know what it is in my world? I'll tell you what it is in my world. Here's my, here's, here's my world. I don't have, a, don't have a slide for this one. Here's in my world. This past week I got an email. This past week I got an email from a magazine called Outreach Magazine. And it listed the top 100 largest churches in America. So I quickly scrolled to see if Windsor Road Christian Church was on that list. Okay, you know what? We, you know, we missed it by only 6,100 people. <laughs> we were that close, 6,100 people. We're going to start counting all of you pregnant ladies, okay? We're going to count you twice. That's what we're going to do. Only missed it by 6,100 people. I'm happy to report to you that we did make the top 20,000 churches in America. Doesn't quite have the ring of success, does it? Nah. You see what? Just why? Why? Because, you know, if I could just make the top 100, and I guarantee you, well, I can't guarantee it, but it's, you know, it's the way I would think, and so why would anybody be different from me, right? If, I, if we did make the top 100, we'd be going, okay, how can I get in the top 10? We just, we're addicted to our own significance. And so we're just, we're wanting to drink from all of these things that'll fill us and satisfy us. And at the end of the day, and so Jesus, and Jesus says, look, you've been drinking from the well of five men. And the guy, well, go bring him over here to me. And here it is. Until you are willing to bring, identify, and bring your false messiahs to Jesus, you won't find Jesus you want to find the real Messiah, you've got to identify your false messiahs and bring them to him. And that's what that's about. And verse 19, this is, the, this is great. The ultimate diversion. Verse 19, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> Duh, <laughs> right? I, I can see our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, well, while we're on the subject of my adultery, what's your view on where people should worship? Ultimate, and you know what? Jesus stays right with her. Lady, 
there's going to come a time where it doesn't see because the Samaritans had a temple called on Mount Gerizim. See, that's why she's saying that. There was a temple in Samaria called Mount Gerizim, which the Jews destroyed about 170 years late, or earlier. Not that they held any grudges about that. Big grudge. So what's your view on the word? And Jesus says, you know what, lady? There, there's, gonna, there, there's coming a time when it doesn't really matter the zip code of the temple. Doesn't matter whether the bricks and mortar are in Jerusalem or whether it's in Mount Gerizim. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. It's coming a time. That's really not going to be an issue. Now, notice he didn't say she didn't need it a temple. He just says the zip code's not going to matter because you see, Jesus is saying, yet a time is coming. You see that word time and has now come. A time. That word. That word in some of your translations is the word hour. The hour is coming and has now come when true worshipers, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that the, the time is coming and the hour has now come where the temple's not going to be bricks and mortar, whether it's in Jerusalem or Gerizim, but it's going to be flesh and blood at a Roman cross. Jesus is telling her that there's going to come, that his death on the cross will be the meeting place between God and the world. And true worshipers are going to worship knowing that Jesus is the meeting place. He is the temple. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And, and, and this must have connected somehow to her because the, she then said, look in verse 25, well, well, I know that the Messiah is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus gives it the most, I mean, he is about the most overt admission of self-identification as you'll find lady you're looking at him I who speak to you am he breaks through takes off the masks and then makes the invitation and I'm telling you it just utterly transformed her life and 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 look at verse 27 John says just then the disciples came back they came back with their happy meals and, and they noticed he was talking to a, a woman. <gasps> you know, they about choked on their french fries. That no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? <gasps> what? They were just surprised. Everybody's surprised. The Samaritan woman's surprised. The disciples are surprised. And verse 28 says, then leaving her water jar. Isn't that a, oh, that's, uh, that's a great symbol, isn't it? She just left it. See, she left it. She left, it at, she left her idols at Jesus, and what does she do? She goes back into town, and she says, you know, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Now, who could be happy about that? But she was. And the disciples, you know, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do now. I mean, you know, Jesus has broken through the barriers. He's taken off the masks, and, and, and then he's made the invitation. Ironically, the day Jesus taught evangelism and the gospel of John, the disciples were out to lunch, <laughs> you know? So what do they say? Eat. <laughs> Have something to eat, Master. Jesus said, I've already eaten, as he sees her go back to town to talk to her friends. Oh, I've I've already eaten. Well, what are you talking about? Guys, look. That's what I'm talking about. My, that's my food. That's why I'm here. That's my reason for coming. That's our reason for coming too. Breaking through the barriers. 
taking off the masks, making the invitation. And, and would you see what happens here in verse 39? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. <laughs> see, Jesus is, Jesus is the only person that once he tells you everything he ever did, if my wife told you everything I ever did, I'd be embarrassed in front of you and angry with her. Jesus is the only person who can tell you everything you ever did and you're, you're not embarrassed or you're not angry. You're free. You're free because finally you're drinking from a water that won't make you thirsty anymore because it's living water. And notice, notice what happens here. The disciples missed the evangelism lesson, but she didn't, did she? Because she broke through the barriers. Huh? Jesus didn't say, now you go back and love them. No, she just went. Why? Because she had living water. She broke through the barriers. The people had ignored her. She broke through the barriers. She took off her mask. He told me everything I ever did. That's called taking off your mask. And she made the invitation. Look, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers in verse 42. Then they said to the woman, wow, we no longer believe just because of what you said. The mistress has now become a missionary. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Breaking through the barriers, taking off the masks, making the ask. That's, that's, that's how to do it, okay? That's how to do it. That's how Jesus did it. So let me ask you this question. Is there a Samaria in your world? Where's your Samaria? Is there a Samaria in our community? Is there a place we're tempted to go around, not through? Where's your Samaria? You got a Samaria at your office? Where's your Jacob's well? Where's your Jacob's well? That's the people where the outcasts are going to hang out. Where is that? Where is that in your office? Where is that? Is, that? is that at home? Is it in the neighborhood? Where is your Jacob's well? Where's the place that we, you need to break through? We need to break through. where we need to take off the mask, where we need to show our humanity, show that we are vulnerable, that we have, that we have griefs, that we, that we have anxiety. That we, we're, we're, where is that? And then are we willing to make that irresistible invitation to help people take, and you know what, this happened in one chapter, I understand. It's gonna probably take many chapters for us. That's fine, that's fine. Guess what? It, it took many chapters for Nicodemus. Isn't it interesting? I mean, John 3 Top of the social ladder, Nicodemus, John 4. Bottom of the social ladder, the Samaritan woman. You think that's there by accident? That's there to say that Jesus is for the whole world. And she gets it faster than the preacher got it. See? It reminds me of something C.S. Lewis said. It's great, quote. Those that, my son Benjamin reminded me of this. Dad, Dad, use this in your next sermon. Okay, son. Those that hate goodness... (laughs) Those that hate goodness, that's the Samaritan woman. Those that hate goodness are sometimes nearer than those that know nothing at all about it and think they have it already. That's, that was Nicodemus. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So we need to identify our Samaria. And maybe you're here today and you're feeling like a Samaritan. Okay. Which of these water bottles is yours? I'm telling you, drink from any of them and you're still going to get thirsty. But there's going to be one that you drink from and you'll never be thirsty again. And in fact, you'll become a spring 
because it'll be his spring, his water flowing through you. And why? Well, because later on in John's gospel, there was another time when Jesus thirsted. You remember that, don't you? In John chapter 19, verse 28, when Jesus was near the end of his life, later knowing that all now was completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus died of thirst so that we could receive the cool living water of eternal life. Jesus died of thirst of his Father's presence, thirst of life, so that we could know life that is truly life. Man's maker was made man that the bread might be hungry, that the fountain might thirst, that the light sleep, that the way be tired from the journey, that strength might be made weak, that life might die. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for breaking through the barriers. Thank you so much for taking off the masks. Thank you so much for making the ir irresistible invitation to yourself. Thank you that you thirsted on the cross so that we could receive the refreshing, living waters 